Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're on a new topic. Um, we're starting this book called The Shadow Effect, and it's kind of by the trifecta of new thought people. We have Deepak Chopra, Debbie Ford, and Marianne Williamson all collaborating on one book. Like, could it be anything but stunning? So uh, I think we're going to have some fun this month. But I would also caution you, you know, Science of Mind churches have the, uh, the catchphrase or the idea that we're the happy people that we just talk about our blessings and ignore the other side of life, that we focus in on affirmations of good and love and, and light and, and never stray from it. <laughs> well, this month we're going to talk about life perhaps a little more holistically. Uh, the idea of the shadow effect, in fact, is that there are thoughts and urges quite unlike the light and love that we might to, want to experience on this planet. That part of being human, in fact, is being able to take a good hard look at ourselves, sort of warts and all, in terms of the thoughts, the urges, the things we say that we wish we hadn't have said, you know, the whole nine yards. And so uh, hopefully we'll have some fun this month, and, and uh, there may be some pushback, too, because this isn't your typical science of my series of talks, but I think, we'll, uh, I think we'll learn a little bit. First of all, so you might be wondering, what is the shadow effect? And I'm going to enlist you to play a little game with me. So the game goes like this. We're all going to shut our eyes. I'm going to read a list of statements. And if you find any of the statements true for you, you raise your hand. You keep your eyes closed, but you raise your hand. And at the end of the exercise, we'll all open our eyes and see how many people had to claim some part of this thing I'm going to call the shadow effect. So are you game? All right. Close your eyes. I'll do the first sentence here. Is it true that you frivolously spent money when your planned budget wouldn't really support it? If so, raise your hand and keep it up. Is it true that maybe at one time you've had a food binge or overate while you were trying to lose weight? If so, raise your hand and keep it up. Is it possible that you stopped an exercise program even though you were actually getting healthier? If so, raise your hand and keep it up. Is it possible that you slipped or had a relapse when part of a 12-step program? If so, I invite you to raise your hand. Could it be that you stopped or started taking prescription medicine without your doctor's okay or awareness? If so, let's raise our hands to keep it up. And finally, you started dating someone that you absolutely knew was trouble. All right. So if you raised your hands for any of those things, have them up right now and open your eyes. All right. We're in good company. This means two things. One, it means you're human. <laughs> and two, it means you have been on the receiving end of your own shadow effect. So the way the authors of this book describe the shadow is that's simply that part of us that wants to express itself sometimes in ways that are not very healthy. It's those urges, it's those desires that are outside of what you picture about yourself. It's outside of maybe what uh, society would like to see you do. In fact, almost without exception, you actually know that what you're going to say, or at least maybe in hindsight, <laughs> you knew <laughs> that it wasn't a very useful thing to say, a very useful thing to do may have hurt yourself, may have put down yourself, it may have harmed other people. So that's the idea of the shadow. And the shadow effect then is when it actually boils over 
And you do it. You act upon that urge. You, 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 know, you eat when you shouldn't. You, you, know, you call someone names when it's uncalled for. That's the shadow effect. We've all been the brunt of it, and at the same time, we've all caused it. So let's talk about it a little bit. The first thing that I think is interesting is we don't like to think about it, do we? I would suspect one of the reasons we don't cover this in church more often is it's kind of shameful. It sort of brings up those ideas of, well, what kind of person am I that I would say that or that I would do that? I mean, we, we really teach the, the principles around here of, of goodness and love and charity and things like that. And when I'm less than those things, does that mean I'm a bad person? And if so, it's probably the last thing we want to talk about. I have an example. Actually, it's the joke for today, but it's also an example. <laughs> A minister and her husband decided that they really had to save some money, spend a little bit less. Unfortunately, she went out the first week of this new austerity plan and found a pair of jeans that fit her like a glove. They cost over $200, but she had, yeah, Sharon's going, hey! <laughs> but she had to have those jeans. Well, when she showed them to her husband, he claimed, after all we said about spending less money, how could you do it? The devil made me do it, said the minister. Really, said her husband. The devil made you do it. Well, then why didn't you just look in the eye and say, get thee behind me, Satan? Well, I did, she replied. But then the devil said they look good from that angle, too. <laughs> And isn't that kind of the truth of it? When we do something that we know we shouldn't, when we say something that we know is inappropriate, don't we start doing things that will kind of cast the blame a little bit outside of ourselves? Or don't we, or don't we uh, another option is we just hush up about it. It's like maybe if I don't say anything, no one will have noticed how horrible that was, right? Maybe I'll be good later and we just won't talk about it now. Well, what the, authors, <laughs> what the authors of this book say is the trouble with this is what you're doing is you're really dividing yourself. You're really kind of splitting yourself into two figures. And if you've ever heard people talk about like the good angel and the bad angel whispering in their ear, or they've, they've talked about your evil twin, right? Oh, well, my evil twin did that. Well, well, what we're doing when we're saying that is there's a part of me so dark, there's a part of me so unacceptable that it can't even be me. And in Science of Mind, we talk about this as the idea of opposites, that idea of trying to put everything in terms of polarization, right? There's good and there's bad. There's light and there's dark. There's beauty and there's ugly. When the truth of the matter is, there are all of those things in everything. We're not ever one or the other of any opposites on this planet. Uh, in, in terms of opposites, there's always something that's even more of that, that we just haven't discovered that, or there's something that's even more the opposite that we haven't even discovered yet. So to say that we're bad, to say that we're ugly, first of all, it's never true. There are always, always elements of both opposites, anything you can name, that's true in us. In fact, as, Ore as Oregonians, my favorite example is just the weather. 
it's like too cold right up until the day it's too hot. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and the truth is, and the truth is living in Oregon is wonderful. It's too cold and it's too hot, right? It's part of why we like it here. It's that combination of everything that makes Oregon so rich. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's that combination of everything that makes you so rich. Now, it may not seem like it. It may seem when you've said the embarrassing, horrible thing in front of all of your friends and family, and you're rapidly trying to take it back to no avail, it may seem when you go on that eating binge after you've already lost 10 pounds and gain it all back, it may seem that when you stop your exercise program that there is something in you that is so unwholesome or unwanted that it should be shameful, that you shouldn't talk about it, that you'd rather blame it on something else or someone. In fact, haven't we got kind of good at blaming other people for our own shadow effect, right? It's like, well, I was on my diet fine until I went out with Larry and he took me to that really nice restaurant. And right there in, in, in a display thing, right when you walk in, not only was the chocolate cake I love, but it had raspberry filling in it. Damn that, Larry. <laughs> right? Don't we do things like that? I remember a dear friend of mine had been clean and sober for quite a while. I think he had two years of sobriety. And, and I saw him at a 12-step meeting, and he was like, well, my name is Larry, and I have two days sobriety. And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And he was right there. It was, well, I was supposed to meet this girlfriend at the coffee shop, and then she texts me that the coffee shop is closed, and she's in the tavern next door. Clearly her fault. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're talking about is duality. What we're talking about is divorcing ourselves from ourselves. When we do that, the urge, I think, is a, a whole one. The urge is, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be on the half of the opposites that's considered bad. I don't want to be on the half of the opposites that's considered ugly. I don't want to be on the half of the opposites that's considered anything negative. And so we'll just leave that negative part of myself over here, never address it, leave it in darkness where it belongs, and I'll move forward. Tragically, we are playing right into that darkness's ability then to raise up out of the blue, out of the unknown, and take over our lives. The thesis of this book is that if we want to move forward in actually having a rich and beautiful life, considering both parts of ourselves, the way is through illumination. The way is through examination. The way is actually through embracing all of ourselves and making negotiations, making agreements, making a way in ourselves to act upon and be what we really choose in the world. So that, that bubbling over effect, that 
shadow effect doesn't at some point take control of us. Now, how do we do this? First of all, it is that idea of illumination. How do you chase away a shadow? You bring more light to it. And so Deepak Chopra actually has a list of the things in the first part of this book that uh, feed the shadow, even though we think we're doing the good thing. They actually feed the shadow. And I want to go over this list really quickly. First, he says, secrecy. The things that we don't talk about that exist will just get bigger over time. To keep them hidden, to be ashamed of them, to bottle them up, to suppress them, actually gives them more energy and more life. I know it seems counterproductive, but we actually need to illuminate the things in our life that are those edgy things, those, those urges that are counterproductive or, or self-defeating. We actually need to understand them and illuminate them to get through. The second thing is guilt and shame about the things that we've done or thought about. When we have ourselves in that shameful place of the things we've done and thought and said, we're actually creating that dichotomy. There's the good me, and then there's the shameful me. And again, we want to keep that shameful me at arm's length. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to try to understand where the shame is coming from. We don't want to deal with the, the motivation behind the negative thing that we did or that we said or that our behavior. So guilt and shame absolutely feed into the negativity. Another one is judging and blaming ourselves and others. That idea of the devil made me do it or, 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 or saying something outside of myself had an influence here. When we do that, of course, we're saying, I have no control over it, right? We're, we're letting ourselves off the hook, but we're doing it in a way that guarantees a repeat performance because we're not really dealing with it. There will always be someone to offer you that piece of cake. There will always be the someone who invites you to be angry at them and blow up. There will, that person will always exist. I mean, you may be married to him or her. I don't know. But, but there will always be, right? There's always something out there that you could choose to blame things on. But then you have no control over it. Then you're just saying, I'm at the mercy of outside events, outside people. I'm not willing to really own up to the fact that these dark ideas and thoughts and urges are within me and to understand them and to begin actually dealing with them personally. Finally, we talk about separating, and this is the worst part, and you certainly see this uh, in people that have addictive, uh, uh, addictive things going on, and that's actually separating themselves from others. At some point in this process, you may be so ashamed or see that part of yourself in such a negative light that then you just want to withdraw from society. You literally you know, do the hermit route. There's something about me so bad that I just won't even see other people. But the trouble with it again is, like, we're just putting another, it's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like uh, I was reading about in the Midwest, there's some place where there's a coal fire that has been burning underground for like 20 years. And, and what they're expecting is that sometime in the next 10 years, the whole town is literally, and in fact, they're already evacuating, and it's basically a ghost town now. But at some point, that underground coal that's burning is going to reach such temperatures and proportions that literally the whole town will kind of implode. 
And when we bury our darkness, when we bury the pieces of ourselves that seem out of control or unwanted, that's what we're inviting. We're simply inviting the, the burnout later. We're simply creating something in ourselves that will be dealt with later, whether we want to or not. So how do we go about shining a light? How do we dispel this darkness? How do we begin knowing more about our impulses and the things that we, we wish to have a better reaction with? Well, illumination in its essence is just to know more about it. And so that's one of your primary tools, believe it or not. And I want to use a, a couple examples so that it sounds more, more real world. One of them is simply from my counseling practice a few years back, I had a couple that swore a lot. It was one of the things I first noticed about them. They, they came to me seeking couples counseling because things weren't going too well about them. And uh, I mean, I would give an example, but we are in church. And I think I, I, think I already said damn, so I'm probably already on some, on some bad list. But, but let me tell you that, that expletives, that swearing was a part of kind of their normal conversation. Now, they weren't yelling at each other in my session, mind you. But like every fifth or sixth word was a, a swear word. And so I said to myself, you know, some days I have a clue. And uh, I, so I said to myself, well, what's it like? I noticed that you swear like, what's it like when you get mad? <laughs> and it was like, oh, my gosh, they gave me some examples, that, some new words I learned. And, uh, and I said, well, let us illuminate this. Let us really take a look at this. Because I, I know you weren't meaning to be angry with each other in counseling, right? They were just words, and they're just words that you use fairly frequently. But I said, let's illuminate them. It's like, what does this one word mean? And so we went and got a dictionary, and I read through it, and I said, now, you're calling your husband that fairly frequently. Is that really your invitation to him? You're not meaning it in an, in an angry or mean way, but the mere fact that you're using that word, it has a meaning, and we have illuminated it, and it is the invitation, if you will, for him then to act that way. Likewise, you're using this word about her. It has a variety of meanings. <laughs> we went over each one of them. I don't think she's that. I don't think she's that. I don't think she's that. But when you use that word, it is like the invitation to be that thing. Are these the things we want to be? Now, I could have just done the minister thing, right? I could have just folded my arms and said, good people don't swear. <laughs> How well do you think that would have gone over? <laughs> but by actually illuminating, by actually showing the reality of what was going on behind them, there was actually some, some, some oomph around, wait a minute, let's clean up our language. It isn't just about whether we're angry or not. It's literally the meaning of the words. There is a power in our word, in our spoken word, in what we say to each other. Let us actually take a look at this. And I got to tell you, just changing that one thing in their life made quite a bit of difference. Some of our other things we needed to work on as well. But even that illuminated what was going on between them, the urges to lash out and the urges to call each other's name. It made a huge positive difference. All right, one more example. And uh, this one is a, a real personal one. Uh, I'm pleased to say that I, I have over 20 years of sobriety now. 
And uh, I remember that when I was very first new, I, I was still in the outpatient program um, at St. Vincent Hospital for uh, alcoholism treatment. And I was invited to go to uh, six AA meetings in a two week period. And oh, was I not interested in doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I went to the first, in, in fact, they, assign, they assigned me a buddy to go to the first one because they were pretty sure that I would say I had gone and just wouldn't go. <laughs> so they actually assigned me someone from the program to go with me for the first one. And I got to tell you, the first few meetings, it was like, oh my gosh, do I really have to be in a room full of middle-aged guys talking about how awful their life had been? And it struck me as, you know, this is just depressing. What, what about being an alcoholic needs to be depressing? But by about meeting three or four, I had a better idea of what was going on there. We were illuminating alcoholism. We were really showing me not only the depth of despair that some of those gentlemen had gone through, but we were also showing one another that there were tools that we could use to stay sober. We were illuminating some of the triggers that might exist in the world that would be inviting us to that drink, right? Just, just meet me in the tavern next door, right? right? Well, if you're not thinking about it, you'd say, well, sure, why not? Until you illuminate the things that are going wrong in your life, until you're willing to look at some of the urges, some of the ways in being that are counterproductive as well as productive, you really are at a loss for handling them very appropriately. When they come up, they're apt to take over because you don't have the tools or even the awareness to look at themselves and you with some kindness and compassion and a good tool set. You know, 20 years later of sobriety, and, uh, and I recognized that that's exactly what I needed in my life. It was illumination. It was talking about being an alcoholic. It was, it was taking ownership of the mess I had made of my life, as well as the ownership of one day at a time I could make a difference. All of those tools came about through the illumination of the very dark urges that were going on in my life at the time. And I wouldn't probably be here if it weren't both for those dark urges and the willingness to shine light on it, the willingness to really understand that piece of myself, claim it, and then act upon it. I have some really nasty homework for you guys this week. <laughs> um, I think that if we want to illuminate it, we have to know what it is first. And so, this is a little bit of a journaling uh, homework assignment. If you are willing, I'd like you to have uh, with you, perhaps throughout the day, just a tiny little notebook or, or some means of just, in fact, you could do it in your phone, those of you that have smartphones, but just someplace where you can jot down a few notes. And when you notice the shadow effect taking over your life, I just want you to write down what, ha what you thought and what happened. So, so it's nothing more this first week than just recording the shadow effect in your life. So if you do something, say something, or think something that you know is not really all that helpful or would cause yourself or other people harm or undo some good that you're working on, right? 
So that's when you know you you know that you blew up at someone where it was unwarranted, or uh, you know you decided not to go exercising for like a year when you <laughs> when you probably should, or you know one of those self-defeating kind of things. Just make a note of it. And what I would like is to have a list of you know maybe like half a dozen or so examples of the shadow effect at work in your life for next week. Next week we're going to start building on some of the tool sets and means for illuminating the darkness and actually to begin negotiating it with it. Make it plan so that when it pops up it doesn't take over so that you can actually talk to that other part of yourself, make good plans, understand what's going on and make a really great attempt at taking the other choice. Not, not allowing the shadow effect, acknowledging the, fat, the shadow but not going with the effect. Make sense? All right, I'm going to close today with a, a quote. Uh, this is the end of uh, the material from Deepak Chopra. This is how he ends his section in the book. And, uh, and then, of course, I'll also end with a prayer. So Chopra says, I've laid out a vision of unity as the solution for the shadow. The instant that life is split into good and evil, the self follows suit. And a divided self cannot make itself whole. There must be another level of life that we recognize is whole already. The shadow isn't a fearsome opponent, but it can be a, worth, a worthy one. Powerful as it is, the power of wholeness and light is always infinitely greater. And by a miracle of creation, by the miracle of illumination, it is within your grasp. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence. There is one life and one goodness. And, and that's all there is. The things that we think of as the negative, the things that we think of as the shadow, they're part of God as well. It's all God. It's that wholeness of life. And I know that means me. I know that as I look at myself as a whole person contained of both light and, and the things that are not so well illuminated, as I think of myself as both good and sometimes not so good, then I'm looking at myself as a whole person. And when I see myself as whole, I have that ability to make wholesome choices. I see my life as created in a way where there is the ability to always move forward in a way that's positive, navigating easily through the things that are now illuminated. And as it is true for me, I know it is true, or it could be true for each person in this room. Each person here, through illuminating some of the pieces of themselves that are unwholesome or unwanted, they begin to understand more of how their brain works. They begin to understand the choices that they have. They begin to understand trigger points and uh, how, how to make do. They understand, in short, the nature of their own being. And with understanding comes freedom. And so for each person here, I see this freedom of being, this freedom of choosing the, to, to make decisions in their la life that are wholesome and, uh, and loving. This is the gift that is given to each of us through the illumination of our own heart. I'm grateful for this. And in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. 
The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.